Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Tower cleared. Welcome to Space 3D. Co-hosts Tom Hill and Eleanor Rangers had the opportunity to interview Rich Overbeck, who's currently wintering over at South Pole Station. As many of our listeners may know, expeditions to our planet's polar regions are considered to be an extreme environmental analog, not unlike what would be encountered on the surface of Mars, for example. Indeed, as Rich will tell us, part of his motivation for wintering over on the ice was because it's the closest he can come to traveling to Mars in his lifetime. In part one of our interview, we'll get to know Rich and what it takes to qualify for supporting winter missions to the South Pole. We'll learn about Rich's typical day at the Pole, how long he'll be down there, and what the most challenging aspects of life at the Pole are for him and his fellow crewmates. We'll also discuss what surprised Rich the most when he traveled there for the first time about 20 years ago. We'll have the opportunity to dispel at least one myth about life at the Pole and gain insight to a surprising benefit from hydroponics, aside from the supply of fresh greens that's never been mentioned by planetary scientists and researchers to our knowledge. This episode was recorded via Zoom on February 12, 2022, so by the time this episode is posted in April, the Pole is nearly enveloped in 24 hours of darkness something which Rich is actually looking forward to. As Rich says, the night sky is just incredible. Good evening, everyone. Uh, This is Eleanor Rangers, and I'm here with my co-host, Tom Hill. Today, we are delighted to actually have Rich Overbeck with us. And Rich is communicating with us from the future. He is about 18 hours ahead of us down in Antarctica. And uh, we thought that it would be great to learn a little bit about uh, life in an extreme environment that, of course, has been considered as an analog for spaceflight. And we thought, hey, why not talk to someone who's actually down there right now, uh, living the life on the ice? So I'm going to turn things over to Rich to introduce himself and how he got uh, interested in spending some tours of duty down. uh, Are you at McMurdo? No. No. Em- okay. uh, the South Pole Station. South Pole yeah. Station. Emerson Scott, okay. Yeah. All Emerson right. Scott, yeah. Great. Well, Rich, you know, okay. welcome to Space 3D and tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. First, I have to say it live from Emerson Scott South Pole Station. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> it's Saturday <laughs> afternoon. Welcome to 3D space. <laughs> <laughs> so, hi, my name is Rich Overbeck. Um, I actually have been interested in uh, Antarctic, uh, Antarctica since I was a kid. The first time I ever heard of Ernest Shackleton, uh, I was probably in about the seventh grade. And I was like, what do I need to do to be able to be, you know, the age of great exploration on Earth is, is pretty much, you know, done, except for our oceans. But anyway, uh, Antarctica is like a great place for ex- exploration, great place to be. I actually came down the, I've been to the South Pole twice. Uh, I was here for 99, 2000 uh, as a maintenance uh, or utilities technician, pretty much the same thing I'm doing now. It's now changed the title to a maintenance specialist, uh, which entails pretty much everything. And yeah, that's why I'm here. I wanted to come again because 
as age is uh, kind of creeping up on me, I, I, I just like, I just need to do this one more time. So here I am. Wow. That's, that's really incredible. We are curious about what is the application process for wintering over in Antarctica? And can you also comment on the different personality traits that might be preferred for someone to be successful in wintering over in Antarctica? And are there any pre-screenings, like any psychological or, or physical evaluations required in order to qualify for um, spending time in the ice? And, and curious about any, any overt disqualifiers as well. It's a normal job application. Uh, you can apply. And if you're, if you're picked for an interview, that's the, the first step. The range of jobs is anything you can imagine. Tons of jobs. Uh, you, can, you can look and search uh, anywhere and find them. To come here, you have to pass a lot of physical qualifications. Um, it's it's kind of a lengthy process. There's dental, physical, uh, depending on your age, you might have stress tests, chest x-rays, gallbladder scans, just things like it. So generally, you need to be in fairly decent health. Uh, you can get waivers for, for things like such as high blood pressure, um, and you can bring your medication. If you're going to be here a year, you can actually bring a year's worth of medication with you. Wow. Um, the psych- psychological aspect, they really only do that for people that are wintering over. Um, and that's, it's usually done with a panel of people that have, have wintered over before. Um, and they'll ask you uh, mainly just questions about, you know, how do you, how do you deal with somebody that's bothering you or, or just things like that. Um, it's probably not the best place if you're a recluse kind of person or if you don't like people, <laughs> I, I'm like, you're going to, yeah, you're going to be surrounded. And so there's only 44 of us this winter here at the station uh, that are staying. You're going to get to know each other quite, quite well. So that's really about it. It's, it's not terribly difficult or anything or any kind of challenges. It's, you know, your health and you got to really want to do it. I mean, it's uh, it's, it is kind of a challenge. So, yeah. So you're, yeah. are you at the beginning of your tour or towards the end? So I came down on an event, it's called Windfly, and a lot of the, a lot of the stuff here is left over from military terminology, so uh, winter fly. I've, I left Dallas, Texas on July 13th and, tra- and have been traveling, and I had to do a lot of quarantine stuff because of COVID, but I've been on the ice since um, August 3rd, so I spent from August 3rd to October 23rd, I was at McMurdo Station working wait and just waiting for the 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 light and to to get warm enough to fly uh to the south pole so i arrived here october 23rd i'll leave here theoretically on november 7th so okay so a little over a year just like a year and two weeks yep pretty much wow i gotta say the uh there's not much delay in the in the communications i expected more of a pause um, there's a little bit, but, uh, discus is, uh, it's so far, it's wonderful. It's the best satellite satellite we have. And yeah, you can, um, it's nice because you can communicate with friends, families, or have zoom meetings like this. This is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Do you know which discus it was? I used to work with discus. I do not know for sure which one it is. No. Um, okay. I, you, can, you can probably Google it and find out. Yeah. So like yeah, there were some discus threes that flew as late as two thousand three. Impressive. I hadn't I hadn't realized that. When you flew down to Antarctica, who manages those flights? Uh, when you get a contract and sign it, you know they'll they'll pay your way from your uh, 
point of departure, you know, and get you to New Zealand and you, and uh, you'll get to Christchurch and that's where you're going to pick up all your extreme cold weather gear, um, whatever trainings you have to do. And if you're flying on the C-17, it's a Fakord Air Force Base. Um, they operate that, that, that flight. Um, and that's, that's the flight you really want. Uh, it's the shortest and it's the most comfortable. If you fly the LC-130 or the Herc or C-130, it's called the LC-130 because it has wheels and skis. Mm. Uh, that's from the New York Air National Guard. And so in comparison, a C-17, you're looking about five and a half hours from Christchurch to McMurdo. And the LC-130, you're looking at about eight and a half hours. Mm. So, Wow. Okay. I'm curious about, you know, we always think of that Antarctica is primarily a research station, but I'm curious when you go to the South Pole Station, what is the mix of people that are working there in terms, is it, you know, 90% researchers or, you know, what exactly, you know, is the composition of stuff that people are doing down there? If you can speak to that. Yeah, it it depends on the year. Unfortunately, we're in a COVID year here, so we're, we're spread kind of thin. Uh, there is science going on, so I'm going to go out and say there's probably 10 or 12 actual scientists here for the remainder of us, the other 30, 34, 35 people. Um, it takes the support for to run a station like this. It, it's, it takes a lot of a lot of skill, a lot of people. I mean, there's, you have the kitchen staff. I mean, we have a, we have a doctor and a PA and, um, uh, plus we have the, the, we have the, all the guys that manage the IT, the satellites and all that stuff. So it's, it's a lot. Uh, now in a non COVID year, uh, you're still looking at 45 people, but the summers were going to be loaded with a lot of science, um, and a lot of, uh, possibly construction depending on what, what's on the, on the roster for NSF. Hmm. Okay. Now you said your assignment for the time that you're down there is maintenance. Can you tell hmm. us what your a typical day is like? There's responsibilities with the maintenance and uh, probably number one is managing uh, uh, fuel. Uh, fuel is lifeblood. Without the fuel, you do nothing and there's no heat, there's no water. Uh, the next one would be the water management. Uh, we actually have a water well here. Then the rest, uh, heating, direct support for science. Uh, so there's there's Parts of the science, like the telescopes out there, I, I don't really, I've never touched the telescope, but I will maintain air handler systems and glycol systems because everything's super cold. And not only that, but we're also a team. So we also help out uh, wherever needed. So I have galley duty. I There's days I have to wash dishes and so does everyone else. I mean, so because we're spread so thin and so few, it's a, it's a big, it's a team effort. What would you say is the most challenging aspect associated with wintering over in particular? I mean, do, do, do people get really kind of tired of the darkness or, you know, how do, how do you combat that? Well, I can speak firsthand uh, about that because I lived in Alaska for 26 years and oh, okay. um, it gets dark there too. Yeah. So it, it, you know, really it is what you make it. You, you have to, I mean, we have a full gym, we have games, we have pool table, we have a, a video library, there's, there's, there's a regular library, so there's books to read, uh, we, we have uh, events, we play volleyball, uh, it's all about staying busy, 
the the darkness affects everybody different. That's all. That's that's all I can say. I I'm looking forward to the darkness, uh, which will be coming uh, about the first of April, uh, end of March, somewhere around in there, um, uh, because the nighttime skies here are just phenomenal. Uh, I can't wait to see it in in person. Yeah. Okay, you mentioned games. I have heard that the game of Risk is not allowed on Antarctica. Is that true? That is not true. That is not true. <laughs> I, okay. I asked, I've asked the, the station manager, people that have been here for 20 years, and they've never heard of such a thing. And then I went to our game room and opened the cabinet, and there's like two or three <laughs> games of Risk. Uh, okay. There, so. All right. Rumor, yeah. there it is. The rumor dispelled. <laughs> the rumor dispelled. Hey, are they going to watch the Super Bowl this weekend? Uh, I'm sure we will by some means somehow it'll happen. <laughs> There's enough sports fans here; they'll 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 make it happen. Yes. Yeah, I I did a remote tour in Turkey when I was in the Air Force, and I so it was all I I was just shy of a year over there, and I there was a base of 75 of us, and we were restricted to base a lot, you know, but we didn't have the the winters yeah. and the the constant darkness or anything. But the Super Bowl was definitely a big deal when that came around. <laughs> Do you think that for you in particular, the fact that you lived in Alaska for so long, um, you know, so you had some idea of what to experience with, with the prolonged darkness. Do you think that that was, gave you a bit of a leg up when you first went down to Antarctica? Um, maybe so. Yes. Uh, they, they typically love Alaskans. Uh, when I was here, there was the first time uh, in 99, 2000, there was, about eight other Alaskans um, that that were that were here that and uh, three of them that were here were friends of mine and I had no idea they applied and they were going to be here so it was kind of a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> wow, very cool. Um, what would you say? I know you mentioned about you can't wait to see the the, the night sky. You know, once it's uh, in total darkness, but maybe reflecting back on your first time that you were on the ice, what surprised you the most about your time <laughs> down there? So I was only here for that summer. Probably the most surprising thing is the, the many trades of people that actually come down here. Uh, and we're all kind of here for kind of the same thing, the, the adventure. And um, just to, to say we've been here. Yeah, it's, that's really surprised me the most. Yeah. And the other surprising thing is it, it it's easy to get hooked on uh, Antarctica. <laughs> Well, um, you know, yeah, like you were saying, I, you wanted to get down there again. Um, and I'm curious mm-hmm. about what that allure, you know, was for you. Like, why did you, why did it drive you to want to come back? Because for me, it's the closest I'll ever probably get to outer space. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's almost the same equivalent, except, you know, you're not near zero G. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but it's it's kind of like being on ISS or on a mission to Mars or something, and um, this is about it for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll happily go to Mars. Anybody listening, I, I want to go. <laughs> I don't know. Is Elon, is, is Elon Musk listening? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is another question just about like the wintering over aspect that I'm curious about. You know, I've read that with prolonged time in darkness. Uh, it just kind of does strange things to your psyche and people can feel like sluggish or have difficulty in concentrating and sleepiness among other symptoms. And 
I'm curious if, if you've ever experienced that um, or, you know, if have others complained about that, you know, I'm just curious if you've encountered it at all. Well, it's not dark yet. I, I don't know how that's going to affect me here, but in Alaska, I never, I never had any problems with it at all. The thing that does affect your sleep, pretty much everything, this is a lot of people don't realize where the South Pole altitude is like 9,376 feet. Mm. And that altitude, altitude can actually change with weather barometric pressure can actually increase the, the, the altitude, uh, the dryness that is super dry. This is the highest driest place on planet earth. It, it's a, it's a desert. Um, so it's, it's sleep is you, you can have three or four days where sleep's just completely elusive and you'll be, you'll be tired. And then one, and then you go to bed and you're like, Oh my God, I slept. <laughs> it was <laughs> wonderful. I got nine hours of sleep. Yeah. I think it's a combination of, of that. And I'm sure darkness will play a role in that as well. Do they yeah. require you for any, to take any medications like Diamox to help acclimate to the altitude? I didn't realize it was that you were that high down there. Holy smokes. So it's, it's not required, but it's offered when you leave McMurdo, they like about three, four days. I took it Diamox. I'm like, I'm, I want to acclimate as fast as I can. And I, it, for me, I, it did help. Yeah. You know, one of the most things you'll see me drinking, you know, my water bottle, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you drink a lot of water here. Yeah. It's constant. Yeah. Wow. Uh, every time you exhale, you're exhaling water vapor. So now how high is McMurdo versus what is the difference in altitude? Uh, McMurdo is just almost sea level. So it's right on uh, McMurdo sound. Uh, so I, I'm going to guess it's 75, maybe 120 feet above sea level, if that. Okay. Yeah. So that's a big change when you, when you jump there, I was stationed in Colorado Springs for yeah. a while as well, which is over a mile high. And when I visited yeah. there every now and then in the middle of the night, you wake up short of breath, you know, just your, your body just doesn't quite adjust to it. I assume, you know, long enough you're there and you're good, but I, I bet you run into that as well. Yeah. I mean, you're always, we have, uh, there's stairs here. Uh, the station's two stories and also the lower levels of the arch, the arches are even down and they're actually underneath the snowpack a little bit coming up the stairs. It, it gets you every time. I, I don't care. You can, you can run up or work out, do whatever you want. You're still going to be breath. Yeah. Yep. And you just oh. accept it. Yeah. Wow. Kind of like being in Estes Park, Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. What is your typical work week? Like, I know we asked like a typical day, but like how many hours do you work and how many days off do they give you per week? So uh, the work day is nine hours. Um, you, you start typically starts, uh, depending on what crew you're on, you start seven seven thirty a.m. and you're off um, five, five thirty. Um, no one's really just, um, watching you like a hawk. You have your work to do and you, you get it done. You know, um, the, uh, the work week is it's Monday through Saturday and we have Sundays off now for winter, us winter over people, we will actually get a two day weekend once each month, um, just for extra, extra time off. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's, it's, it is a challenge being here for, for winter and, and they realize that and they, they actually treat us very well, I think. So is, uh, is there alcohol at the station? There is alcohol available. Yes. Uh, okay. For purchase it's limited. So um, 
Um, you, you get you if you drink, you can get rations, uh, but there's there's no bars. Not at not at the South Pole. There's it's you know you buy it and you can hang out with your friends and drink. Yeah. Okay. Do they have food rations as well? No, the food is actually at the South Pole is quite good. Um, it's uh, uh, you eat very well. You can you can have as much as you want. Um, the uh, you, you name it. The uh, all all kinds of food are made. Uh, fortunately for us at the, at, here at the pole, we, there's a greenhouse. Uh, so we have fresh produce all through the winter. So oh, wow. we, we have salads multiple times per week. Um, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Now fruit uh, once uh, here soon, we won't have any fruit until the next, uh, the first flights come in October and they usually try to bring us, we call them freshies. Yeah. Uh, so you're kind of limited. I mean, for fresh fruit, I mean, there's canned fruit, frozen fruit, all that kind of stuff, but yeah, the, the food is remarkable here. It's, it's very good. I'll put it that way. Okay. So they're artificially lit greenhouses to go through the winter. It's all hydroponic. So there's no, no soil. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite beautiful. It's a great place. If you want to go read a book and hang out and smell the smells of earth, because that's the only smell smells that, that are here that smell like earth. <laughs> yeah. I did not think of that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really, and yeah. that's, yeah, that's very interesting. I didn't even think too about the smells of earth in, in a greenhouse. That's something I don't think I've ever heard, even when they talk about using hydroponics, like on another planet. Um, yeah. That's pretty interesting to me. It's very, it's actually very enjoyable. I mean, as soon as you open the door, it's like, whoa, you know, I forgot about that because a lot of the smells here is, I mean, there's virtually nothing outside uh, or the smell of fuel <laughs> or the right. smell of exhaust. Uh, and, is it diesel? Or other other <laughs> people. It's uh, diesel, it's AM8. So it's a highly refined fuel, uh, okay. but that's that's what we burn here. Thank you for listening to another episode of Space 3D. Join us for part two of our interview with Rich Over back in our next podcast. For co-hosts Tom Hill and Emily Carney, this is Eleanor Rangers for Space 3D.